of things I do because I'm really lazy mm-hmm. is I tend to start by asking the writer of the book uh, just to say something about the book. And maybe and you can summarise it if you want, but um, but kind of maybe after a week of talking relentlessly about it, how you're feeling about it at the moment? Does it sort of get more depressing with the, <laughs> no, with the talking? No, no, it doesn't get more depressing. It, um, it's it's interesting to me having talked about it for a book. What, the kind of questions that keep coming up that I'm necessarily anticipated, which in this case can be summed up as will they ever sort this out? Do you know what I mean? Will <laughs> That's they, my last one. <laughs> will there, you know, will this, are we just, are these days going to go on and on and on? So the, the premise of the book is really simple. Every day, on average, seven children are shot dead by guns. Children and teens. So I picked today um, at random how did you choose it? I mean, I guess it was the first day I could do that work with my family commitments. So I had another book out in 2013 that was tied to the um, Martin Luther King Ivy Dream speech. So I was doing a lot of publicity around that, and then I came to Britain during Black History Month in October um, to promote it here. And then I have a family, so I had to go back and, you know, be with my family. Yeah. And uh, Thanksgiving was coming up, and I needed to get started on this, so it was going to be a weekend. So I thought, well, there needed to be seven children shot dead that day for it to work, because, <coughs> um, because that's the number you start from. So that was really the first weekend I could have done and I would have done the 30th or the right. but um, it turned out that the sufficient number had died on that day I mean you don't know for a few days afterwards so that was the day I chose I mean so that was how it came about like so much in this book there's, sort of gri- there's a grisly re- reason for that which is the weekends tend to spark off more yeah. other kinds of situations. I mean you're Kids are more likely to be shot on the weekend and they're more likely to be shot during the summer. I mean, there's some obvious reasons for that. They're not at school. Um, and they are, uh, in the summer, they're out more. Um, <coughs> I, in the summer, I was doing something else. So, I, I, um, so this was the first one I could do. But, yeah, there is, there is, a, there is a macabre... Factor in just thinking if I was going to start to this book now, it's Friday. Um, I could almost guarantee you that there would be, I don't know who they'll be, obviously, but at least seven children would die, get shot dead tomorrow. And I could do this book on the basis of the kids who get shot dead tomorrow. I just happen to choose a different day. And that sense of inevitability, I think you actually say explicitly, was one of the central tragedies of the book that families, parents Mm. and the kids on some level walk around their lives expecting that there's a not you know in the way that we sort of think we Mm. might go to the shops tomorrow that there's actually that kind of possibility yeah for the for the black families right um, and um, I mean because it's a random day then the deaths demographically don't come in an average way so 
black people are overrepresented in this book compared to the average. So yeah. seven, seven black kids out of yeah, ten. seven black, two Latino, one white, and on average, it would be five, probably five white, four black, one Latino, or one Latino it would be. I mean. Every three days, there would be an Asian or Pacific Island <coughs> Native American shop, but it's more or less three, three, one. So that must have—I mean, that by almost by that kind of chance, that must have shaped the kind of narrative you can take. So if you're yeah. going to—I mean, my my sister-in-law teaches on a uh, in in New Mexico on a on Native American reservation. If you'd had to go there, you'd have had to have sort of researched. So in some ways, the the kinds of points you wanted to make in the book were dri- driven by the. It, almost exclusively. Right. So, I mean, I made a point of uh, not pursuing themes that either didn't come up, which is, or, or that it's not like deindustrialization came up, you know, <laughs> when I was talking to his dad. Although he does talk about, you know, there's no jobs here and, you know, all of that. It's not like it was irrelevant, but that either the families had to bring them up or I had to be able to see them and pursue them so for example uh, that's why I don't spend a long time talking about gun control because none of them raise it and if none of them raise it I mean it was in Kenneth Mills Tucker's chapter he dies in Indianapolis and five months later the NRA convention is in Indianapolis so to me that works but if I wouldn't have gone to the NRA convention otherwise, um, in Tyler Dunn's chapter, um, the issue of negligence in guns come up, and so then the issue of smart guns and the NRA and smart guns comes up, and therefore it's relevant. But otherwise, I, I don't go chasing things that aren't being raised or aren't kind of uh, feasible. I just take the issues as they as they come, really. Did that take a degree of restraint on your part? Or were you happy, in a way, not to jump into... It gave it focus. It gave me focus. It, you know, I mean, there was... Thank you. There was... Um, uh, with Jaden's chapter... Um, I did want to talk about mental health... And, I mean, Danny Thornton, who's Jaden's... I mean, Jaden's mother's ex-partner and the father of one of Jaden's brothers, who just shoots Jaden in the head, races off, shoots somebody else, and then gets shot in a shootout with the cops, and he says, I'm not going to be a 47-year-old man living in my car without a job. I'd rather go down suicide by a cop. To me... I think there's a mental health problem there and I think it, I would have liked to have pursued the issue of mental health and the fact that prisons are the primary provider of mental health care in America but in the absence of being able to talk to any of Danny's friends or people who knew Danny who weren't bereaved there was I couldn't I can't diagnose him you know so I couldn't really pursue that, so I, so I didn't. So there was some restraint insofar as there were themes that I thought were relevant but not necessarily present. Mm. Um, but 
there was always so much to talk about anyway that why not talk about the things that people are actually talking about or that you can kind of really engage with right there and then. Was that part, I mean, in some ways that sounds almost part of the problem that you could link these, these seemingly tiny mm. cases that, you know, that, whose kind of what the white-hot centre was to do with those families... Yeah. You could feel through as the book, as you read through, sort of spread across, you know, every, almost every grand theme in America right right now that I'm yeah. sure Hillary and Donald will be debating, or probably not debating over the, <laughs> yeah. over the coming weeks. But I mean, one of the one of the one of the interesting challenges, one might argue, is contradiction in terms of what I've just said, was, um, well, I guess it wasn't in the way that the, people kept bringing up parenting and families, particularly African Americans. Mm. And I'm happy to own the fact that I'm resistant to those explanations just reflexively. Mm. Uh, I don't like those explanations, but I felt incumbent on me to pursue them. And that was interesting, having to challenge, having to deal with these scripts where they would say, you know, in my day it was safer, everyone would get home, you know, and, you know, increasingly babies having babies, they would say these things. And then when I looked at the figures, it just wasn't true. And thinking, having to kind of engage with, without wanting to be some kind of, you know, false consciousness kind of Marxist nut, <laughs> why are people saying things that are statistically untrue, you know, that actually for most of the parents who would have grown up during the crack epidemic epidemic, they would have been more like shootings were more common teenage pregnancies are less common that the rate, you know, that African Americans use drugs less than white people with the exception of crack, that kind of and you know, it's not like that's a unique preserve to them. All sorts of people believe things that aren't true. You know, you ask British people well, how many immigrants are there. <laughs> they think there are four times more immigrants than there are, so no wonder they're afraid. You know, yeah. anything you think is four times bigger than it is, is terrifying. Um, but that was a challenge. A fascinating one was, was actually, and this is something that I've been thinking about, I was trying to write about. Um, I've got a small daughter. So I was fascinated by this idea, which is, seems to be one of those sort of truths that, that get out there and float around, this idea that black fathers walk out on their families mm. and are never seen again. Yeah. And that's like, and another of those assumptions, family assumptions, that you seem to want to challenge. It was, I mean, it was fascinating. It, well, yeah, I mean, I, I read that in a different book <laughs> and kind of thought, is that true? Because I didn't think that was true. I'm a black father and I didn't think it was true. Oh. I didn't internalise that script. And then, yeah, you get to the stats and it's like uh, African-American fathers are less likely to live with the mothers uh, and more li- less likely to marry, but more likely to bathe, read to, and something else with their children under the age of five than any other ethnicity. And, um, yeah, I... Um, and I can imagine some of the reasons why that might be true. Mm. If you've got higher unemployment... I mean, if you got higher unemployment, then you'd have more time to do that. Um, the fact that you don't live with the mother doesn't necessarily mean you live that far away. Mm. Um, people who are 
working class are more likely to have to take ownership of the childcare and just kind of field it out and put them in daycare mm. or whatever. But um, um, yeah, I mean that was an example of me believing a myth that actually was denigrating me as a, you know, generally speaking, as a black father, and I, uh, you know, and I was raised by a single mother, and I, you know. So, yeah, there are a range of things out there that people think are true. Was, and then you do a little bit of research, it's like, well, not only that's interesting that that's not true, but how does that change my understanding of everything else? And then uh, there was another fact that I read, which I kind of pursued this for a little bit, only a kind of line in the book, but that I actually got a couple of books out and read about it, but that... African American dads are more likely to be single dads than any other ethnic group, and then I thought, "Oh yeah, two of the dads mm. in the book are single dads." So yeah, I was just reading on the bus over to Justin Hillen's dad, Greg, yeah. who he was one of the sort of people that you could imagine getting caught up in this. I mean, he mm. had been caught up in it, yeah. but he got out, and that, mm. there was an awful sort of sensibleness of this kind of ghosting of seeing the couple of people that could get out of these situations. Mm. Um, Trying to kind of give back the information, so you yeah. could just hang on. And, and that was another thing that came through the book in a strange way. Was often that kids were about to go off that month, the following, mm. after, at the end of that that yeah. weekend. You could see the light, or you know, maybe yeah. not the light, but a yeah. light at the end of the tunnel. It was a- yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it was this, and it comes back to the macabre actually of thinking, if only. There's so many in the books, like if only you hadn't gone trucking, or if only you'd gone trucking with your dad, or if only you'd made it to the next day, then you'd have gone to rally with Justin, you know, and you'd have been out of this, or, um, um, you know, if only Edwin had gone and seen the puppies with his, um, with his uh, siblings, and gone to um, uh, Camilla's house. But then you come back to the statistic and you realise, well, that's the average. So if you'd done that, I guess somebody else would have made the bad decision. Because um, without... I guess this is fatalistic, but it's driven by this fatal fact. At least seven kids were going to die that day. So it wasn't you, it was going to be someone else. You know, someone else's number was going to come up because that's how it's working right now. And this number's going down. So when I did the original story for The Guardian in 2007, it was eight. But it's not going down to two or none. Right. So um, uh, that realisation that, okay, if I'd picked a different day, I would have gotten different stories. If you hadn't done that, you would still be alive but the universe would almost you know it would have picked someone else mm. um, it's a kind of uh, I mean you're getting into metaphysics there but I I think it's uh, I think there's something to it this notion that oh god what, you know if only and it's like well <clears throat> you just think well the world is full of if onlys but there's only so there's only so much toast that's going to land by a side up. <laughs> 